Coming up on Stu Does America. So many models, so little time. I promise you I will do them all because I know that is what America deserves and expects from me. Such a great guy. Joe Biden continues to insert himself into pop culture scenarios, hoping that it will make him seem more relevant and less like the ancient cue card guy that wandered on its set. Guys, uh, I know we can't fire Eddie. He's like 100 years old and he'll lose his health insurance. Come on, it's okay. Depending on who you ask, hydroxychloroquine will either wipe the coronavirus off the face of the planet while delivering us all free BMWs or initiate a Fourth Reich that ends in all of our boot-stamped faces, biting the dust forever. At the very least, can we at least find some middle ground in not drinking fish tank cleaner? Just an idea. Please support uh, me and the network that airs this preposterous 44 minutes by going to blazetv.com slash stew and subscribing. It is tons and tons and tons of great conservative shows and voices at a very small cost. Not small enough, you say? Well, then make sure to use the promo code stew because, first of all, that's how they know you like this stupid show. Plus, they'll take another 30 bucks off for you. You're welcome. This is the last time you're going to see me this week. I mean, not really. We will have repeat episodes airing tomorrow and Friday. And you can always see me from a few weeks ago on YouTube. All the episodes are there for free. But I'll be taking a short break so I can drive out to Delaware and give my own personal heartfelt endorsement to Joe Biden for president. Mm. Sad part is even I would probably be more sincere than Barack Obama was. Stu does America. A quick note. So far... This is my favorite show title. It encompasses everything. Gorgeous models, mathematical graphs, my name. Everything about it just works for me. And my least favorite still to this day, Stu does Glenn Beck. Terrible title. Never again. Just a note for the producers of this show. More models, less Glenn Beck. Today, the model we'll be looking at is not wearing a bikini, unfortunately. It's a statistical model of infectious disease, and you should be ashamed of yourself for already reaching to click to another video. This is the highly publicized IHME model of COVID-19, reportedly one of the most influential models driving pandemic policy around the world. IHME is the Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation and is part of the University of Washington. It's also been referred to by the administration as the Chris Murray model after one of the main guys behind it. Since it's being talked about a lot, I figured we could look closely and see how it's performed so far. If you've heard anything about it, you probably have heard one thing. We can get rid of the stupid graphic. I hate that stupid thing. Get the stupid COVID thing off the screen. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. Ah, ah get the stuff. Ah, it's driving me crazy. Please take it off. This. Thank you. Oh, I'm stopping in the middle of this and I'm ranting about how I hate the stupid COVID molecule thingy. Why is it on the screen all the time? Please kill it. I never want to see the stupid little circle with little things hanging out of it. And it's all creepy and it's all. And can you decide what it looks like? I don't know if you've noticed this. Every other story, one of them has like a point coming out of it. Some of them have little rope things coming out of it. Some of them have little horns like the end of that like Sesame Street character coming out of it. They're all different colors. No one has any idea what this thing looks like. I don't even know if it's real. Stop putting it in every news story. It's driving me nuts. Okay. Now, if you heard one thing about this stupid model, it's that uh, you heard it cut its predictions from 80,000 dead to 60,000 dead. But that's just one of its changes. Actually, the model updates daily with new information. Here's a look at how its projections of total death have changed over time. The blue line here, as you're seeing, uh, is what everyone is kind of talking about. Its mean projection started around 80,000, 
went up to about 93,000. And this month, uh, earlier this month, dropped to about 60,000. Uh, it's now back up to about 69,000. They project dead because of COVID-19 here in the United States. Now, one important thing to notice, however, if you're looking at the graph, and I'll explain here if you're on podcast, is that the model doesn't just give you a single number. It gives you a range of outcomes. And while there has been movement in the mean number, which is the one that everyone talks about, it has never moved outside of their range of outcomes. It's just bounced around the inside. Now, a lot of people on both sides don't seem to understand these models or how to interpret them. But think about the process of building one of these projections for a second. To oversimplify, you can say, well, we're going to have everyone stay home, wash their hands all the time, 20 seconds, sing happy birthday twice, you know. Social distancing, don't get near those creepy people, and I don't know, stop wearing pants for your conference calls. All the stuff that we're doing. But you don't know exactly how many people are going to go along with that. So you have an upper estimate of deaths. You know, if things go poorly and a lot of people ignore the rules and start making out with tons of strangers, like they're on a Jersey Shore reboot. And you have a lower death estimate if everyone becomes Howard Hughes and looks at themselves in a mirror in a weird random room in their home and they just stay there forever and start peeing in milk bottles. If things go well, your mean estimate will fall. This doesn't mean that they had no idea what they were doing last week and misled the country into economic catastrophe. It just means that, you know, things are going slightly better than expected. That could be because people are washing their hands more or the virus is a little less deadly than they thought or a little less contagious or a million other things. What makes this so difficult for modelers to accomplish accuracy is that it's not just one variable like I'm describing here. It's dozens and dozens of them. 538 did a good explainer about why it's so hard to build one of these models, and they included this fancy diagram. It lists over 30 variables, and we have, a hard, uh, we have hard data to guarantee accurate numbers for exactly one, two, three, none of them. We don't know precisely how contagious it is yet, or how easily it kills people, or how it's affected by warmer weather, or whether you're immune after you get it, etc., etc., etc. If you're guessing at one thing a little bit, you can get away with it. But when you stack guesses on top of guesses on top of guesses, it's like building a tower out of uneven and misshapen blocks. You can get a few to stay upright, but you stack too many and the whole thing falls apart. Basically, I would say it's unfair to argue that these people are totally blowing it and want to make numbers look really high to terrify everyone. It's not that simple. But I'd say it is fair to say we're making a lot of policy decisions based on really shaky information. So let's go through some of the shaky information on this particular model. All of their hospitalization numbers in this model, I, they're just a mess. And their state-level projections are a mess, too. For example, everybody knows by now uh, that New York seems to be past the worst of their hospitalization issues. And the IHME model reflects that. It shows that New York is on the back end of the curve. However, it also shows that New York has 718 ICU beds and today needs 3,819 more than five times as many as they have. This isn't even close to reality. For some reason, they don't seem to be updating the numbers for hospitalization to reflect the real world at all. States really shouldn't be even looking at this part of the model when making decisions at this point. It's also worth asking if a model with such incredibly high ranges of estimate that are so close uh, as far as time goes is really even worth having at all. For a model that's supposed to use new information to inform its future projections, it can be embarrassingly terrible. For example, on April 13th, the model knew there were around 1,500 deaths. Their projections for April 14th, 
somewhere in the range of 464 to 7,083. Gee, thanks for the... Gee, don't be too specific. I mean, I could do that. Tomorrow, the deaths will be between a trillion and negative nine. Somewhere in there. What value is even doing this if we're going to get that kind of result? Either a 70% drop-off or a 365% increase. If there was a sudden jump from 1,500 to 7,000 in one day, you don't think you'd have more awareness of that in advance? By the way, you may remember that yesterday I was uh, saying I'd be encouraged with anything under 2,000 deaths. Sad reality, 2,407, our highest day yet. <laughs> and you thought math sucked. Here, let me give you a few seconds uh, with the other kind of model. <laughs> Not the statistical model, this kind of model. Oh, look at her. Oh, she's, she's inside and it's really windy for some reason. And she's just forgotten all of her clothing. Oh, gosh. What a terrible, terrible tragedy. All right, all right, that's enough. I mean, that's better than the stupid COVID little bubble thing. It's better than that. Okay, we covered some of the underlying information, which has not worked out. But does that mean the model is completely worthless? Well, not exactly. For the purposes of America in general, all of this background information leads to the main number that everyone is talking about. What is the projected number of deaths in the United States? I was thinking this would be an interesting experiment a couple of weeks ago. Track the projections day by day and see how the model is actually performing. I started with the model from March 30th, which projected a total of 83,966 deaths. This gives us a couple of weeks to look at the results. All of this uh, moves so fast. So let me just kind of take you back in time a little bit. On March 30th, take yourself back, March 30th, we had about 3,000 total deaths, meaning about 90% of the total uh, death toll has happened since this model was released. So first, let me give you a look at the actual deaths over that period. You can kind of see a pretty, pretty clear upward trend of about 750 deaths per day, starting there and going up from there. Well, here's what the model predicted on March 30th. I mean, if you're watching, you can see that the predictions line matches up with the real world count almost exactly. I mean, it's uncanny. Honestly, I had no idea that we would see a result like that. Now, I know this is a bit hard for uh, some of my peeps over on the audio podcast, so let me break it down this way. Between March 31st and April 14th, the IHME model projected there would be 21,685 deaths. The actual number was 21,362 deaths. I mean, they missed by 1.5%. I'll remind you, all of this came out at a time where 70% of Americans thought there would be less than 10,000 deaths total. Now, in the days after this, the model has been adjusted several times and started overshooting the number of deaths. Uh, In fact, even their model that was only predicting 60,000 total was too high in the short term. How is this possible? How did this model nail this so perfectly? Luck? I, I have no idea. That's kind of my guess. Luck. I mean, the assumptions behind the marquee prediction are so all over the place and such a total mess. I can't see any other reason for it other than just freaking luck. Still, as of today, we're elevating the March 30th model to legendary status. It will predict tragedy. It will give you your horoscopes. It will tell you the winning lottery numbers whenever you want them. Bottom line here is that models can't tell the future. Usually. They can be used as tools to guide policy. They can give you the best outline of when the best and worst case scenarios can be. 
but they can't be your only tool and they don't demand near religious dedication. They can and should be questioned and weighed against other concerns of a society. It's also not so bright to be angrily critical of models and the people who make them, particularly when you don't have a decent grasp on what they mean. I mean, what are their assumptions? How are they supposed to be interpreted? The media does us all an extreme disservice by throwing these scary numbers around without actually giving you any understanding or contextualizing what they mean. We've taken a brutal economic beating and paid a massive price for not being prepared for a pandemic. Hopefully, we've used this time to be ready for the future flare-ups that might come and to develop a plan so that we can return to a life while not really normal yet, at least feels like America again. Can we do that? And what is life in America without models? Ah, there she is again. Oh, it's really slow motion. Well, look how bouncy her hair is. It's so beautiful. I'm just worried about her epilepsy. Does she have seizures? There's a lot of strobe lights going off. All right, all right, all right, all right. That's enough. Who does America? Inflammation is likely the root cause of back, neck, and shoulder and leg pain. Inflammation is why you suffer with achy and painful joints and muscles. If you leave it untreated, inflammation can cause permanent damage. Pain relievers and topical creams don't treat the problem. They just mask it. Omega XL goes right after the inflammation. At 30 years of research, they've been around a long time. These guys know what they're doing. Omega XL is a powerful natural supplement that helps reduce pain and inflammation while it promotes healthy joints and increased mobility. Nothing like it in the world. I mean, they get, they get it from this one place. I'm not going to tell you where because if I give you the address... You're going to go there as soon as the air, the flights open up and you're going to go there and you're going to take it all. It's theirs. Don't steal it from them. right now. Staying healthy is on everyone's mind. So here's another reason to take Omega XL. Research shows that Omega XL can help promote a healthy immune response. That means Omega XL can help your natural immune system protect you. Uh, here's a special offer to get you started. Order now and you get your second bottle absolutely free. Visit OmegaXL.com slash stew. That's OmegaXL.com slash stew. Make sure that you know what you're, you're going with a product that you trust and that uh, can help you uh, get rid of this inflammation that's causing you pain. OmegaXL slash stew. It's OmegaXL slash stew. Welcome back. Chad Prather to the program. You know, this week they had uh, on the Chad Prather show a very special episode of after it was an after school special about the Cuomo brothers. Let's take a look at the quick, 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 quick clip. There are no real winners of this whole coronavirus battle. Well, except for maybe Andrew Cuomo, as we call him, the love gov. And he's the rising political star that has taken the worldwide pandemic as an opportunity to hog that bright, shining spotlight that for far too many years has illuminated his brother Chris on the mediocre airwaves of CNN. Andrew Cuomo has taken this dumpster fire of a situation and neatly crafted it to fit his political agenda, one that he hopes will make all his other shortcomings as governor disappear. Now, since he assumed the role as the 56th governor of the progressive paradise known as New York, Good old Andy has done little to help his people, you know, or fulfill the promises he's made as a candidate. I mean, those are just basic facts. But are we really surprised? I mean, much like Rudy Giuliani became America's mayor during the aftermath of 9-11, Governor Cuomo may want to become America's president. We'll see. 
In some ways, he could be the saving face of the Democratic Party. As it stands now, the only fighting chance the Democrats have left is Joe Biden, and that's laughable. And it's quite frankly to the, the fact that their party is dying. I mean, literally, all other viable candidates are on the brink of death. And in the case of Bernie Sanders, well, that man's been flatlining since 2002. <laughs> uh, Chad Prather joins us. Uh, Chad, I, I don't imagine you own a Super Cuomo Brothers t-shirt. No, but I do have a Cuomo over on top of my oh, head. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Actually, I shaved it off. Look at there. Oh, wow. <laughs> ah, it's all gone. <laughs> I know when people look at me, they automatically think this guy knows all about a New York political dynasty. Yes, that's you. You scream it's, it. I scream it. I scream it. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, it's interesting because I, that is the vibe right now. The vibe is Andrew Cuomo is going to ride his, you know, ride to be the savior of the Democratic Party. I, I do not see it at all. Put yourself in his shoes. Uh, I don't see it in 2020. I honestly don't. It's fun to look at and speculate and things like that. I mean, does Joe finally go off the deep end? Does somebody pull the plug on him and he just, the robot just kind of dies and falls over? Uh, 2024, though. 2020, I don't know. 2024 mm. could be a thing because I don't know that anybody really gives Joe Biden a snowball's chance in hell. I, I'm starting to get scared, though. <laughs> I'm starting to get scared with the, I, yeah, you know, reasonably so, but with this economy doing what it's doing and people on the fence the way many people are, I don't understand that. I mean, it's 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 almost too early. Like, you know, you can look at the polls. A lot of the polls look good for Biden right now, but really there's been no, they haven't been mixing yeah. it up at all. I think you could look at, you know, the, the job Trump has done with the economy and everything up until a few weeks ago and be like, okay, he's got a great chance of winning. The issue here, I think now is it's completely up in the air. Like yeah. I, if Donald Trump comes out of this looking like he handled handled it competently, he's going to win. If he comes out of this and looking, you know, there's a, there's too many dead people and, and the economy does not bounce back. He's going to have a tough time. So let's look at the economy for a second. Let's let's just my speculation. Yeah. I'm certainly no economist, but let's look at this. OK, so Trump grew this whole thing and Obama comes out recently and he says, well, it's because we did all these things. So which is it? Is it Obama's economy or people? Everybody saying, well, Trump, it's a, it was a bubble economy that oh. you just stuck a pin in it, poof, and there it went away. So which was it? Was it Obama's co- economy that was good or was it Trump's economy that was bad? And now we're seeing the deal. So now we're coming back to Obama era levels with the numbers. What if Trump comes back into this thing and he's right and he says we can rebuild this quickly and all of a sudden, boom, the economy comes right back? There's no denying it at that point. That is a Trump economy, right? So that could be interesting to watch Mm -hmm. over the next few months. Uh, It's interesting the big ups and downs that the stock market is doing right now. And the the stock market is very different from the economy. I understand that. So it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see. Um, you know, I think that for the most part, people would love to see a Cuomo, nipple rings and all, uh, just, <laughs> just pop out because he's eloquent. He knows how to say the right things. He knows how to do the, you know, Joe Biden's not eloquent. No. Uh, Donald Trump's not eloquent. So, no. and that's whatever. But it, the difference between Joe and Donald is Donald has a spine. Yeah, and he seems like he's at least able to get through sentences. Yeah. Uh, this is a low bar I'm talking about here. But oh, he, you know, he gets through the sentences with some addendums. Yeah, yeah there, right? there's always addendums. <laughs> yeah. I left on the press yesterday, presser yesterday, he's like, well, you know, we're going to take a, take the money out of the W, World, you know, the World Health Organization because of this coronavirus thing. And you all know what that's about. <laughs> like, what? Yes, we okay, do know. Yeah. We've been following the story <laughs> yeah, quite closely. We've been dealing with this, yeah. Uh, let me go back to, to Cuomo as a candidate here for a second. Because he is getting these vibes as a guy who's handling this really well and he's doing these great press conferences and he's on top of everything. What am I missing here? 
He is the guy that has overseen the worst part of this entire crisis. Really, almost, I mean, maybe you could, the Lombardy region of Italy could compete. Maybe a little Wuhan. But outside of that, it's basically the worst in the entire world, right? We have a guy who started this with a giant stunt where he came out and said, hey, we're going to have people in prison make new hand sanitizer for you. That's how we're going to cure it. He was telling people that he wasn't going to shut down the economy, wasn't going to do a stay-at-home order. Uh, it called out the mayor of New York, de Blasio, and said, we're not going to do that. I don't know what he's talking about. Like, two days later, he did it anyway. I feel like he's been a disaster this entire time, and I'm the only one seeing it. Yeah, well, I, no, I don't know that you're the only one seeing it, because, you know, as of today, they've decided to put uh, masks on everybody in New York. Yeah. Which is, so that's a mandate that's coming down from Cuomo. Um, here's a guy who he wears the, the presidential looking windbreaker every day. He's got the seal of New York on there. He's kind of yeah. got that look about him. But let's face it. When it comes to doing your job, Andrew Cuomo, much like his father, they haven't done it. Yeah. You know, uh, Mario Cuomo ran on this premise of cleaning up Albany and getting rid of the, you know, the bad things that were going on there. And Kind of like a, you know, drain the swamp almost. In our, yeah, it's almost a similar it, argument. Chris did the same thing when he ran. And so it's interesting to watch that whole thing because, let's face it, Albany's still corrupt. Yeah. New York is still New York. There's no questions about that. New York is still New York. Uh, there's no question that they are also these epicenter of the pandemic. But let's take it one step further. District 14, which elected Ocasio-Cortez, that is the epicenter of the epicenter. Mm. And she really is nowhere to be found in that regard. She is an Instagram yeah. social media influencer that somehow wandered into the halls of Congress and got in there. So uh, where is she in that regard? So I will give a thumbs up to at least he's present, but a thumbs down in terms of the action. And what he says today is not necessarily what he's going to do. No, no. I- I was born in New York. OK, mm-hmm. I, I in that way, I'm a New Yorker. I was born in New Jersey right outside the city. Really? Look at this. Yeah, that's, you can tell. You scream, New Jersey. I know. Four months I lived there. I'm a vet. <laughs> but can we start finding some candidates that aren't from New York? Yeah. Last time we ran two people from New York. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Trump's coming back. He's from New York again. If we were on Cuomo again, I think we've just given up. Like, it's just all we're just going we'll just make the president of New York and we'll just call it. We'll just call the country New York and turn it yeah. over to them. Um, I, I, and not to mention this whole dynasty thing where, like, because we know someone's last name, we feel like they 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 belong uh, you know, as as one right. of the leaders on the way to the White House. That's not the way it's supposed to be in America. Well, let's face it. You've had the Kennedys. Of course, we know that. You've had the Romneys, the good, the Bushes, mm-hmm. the Trumps. Very, very, you know, and, yeah. and I, so I'll pick on the right as well, because a lot of people are saying, oh, we want Ivanka or we want Don Jr. Yeah. or somebody like that. Do we? I don't know. Um, they might not be able to pull off the same thing. I don't know. I don't want I don't want these political dynasties. I don't need a John and John Quincy Adams yeah. to come in there and do this. So Mario Cuomo. Uh, nine years into his governorship, decides to run for president because of this earth-shattering speech that he gives in San Francisco at the DNC convention as a, as a keynote. Yeah, like a Barack Obama kind of he moment. He kind of had that moment yeah. where everybody's like, oh, my God, this guy, you know, because he talked about not a city on a shining city on a hill. As Reagan said, he said, we have a tale of two cities. You can actually take that speech, pull it out of 86 or was it 86, 84? You could take that and put it in present day America right now. Anyone could give that speech. It would be verbatim applicable to what we're dealing with in America. So he does that. Now you have uh, Andrew Cuomo nine years into his gubernatorial 
uh, seat, he wants to run for president. I almost feel like he's trying to complete his father's legacy that just didn't happen. And so you have Chris, who supposedly has coronavirus on CNN. He's down in the basement. He's doing these daily interviews. Can you imagine if Ivanka Trump was running for president? She was the governor of of Florida. And Don Trump, God forbid, was on some news network (laughs) and interviewed Ivanka Trump every single day or anytime he wanted. People would lose their minds over something like that. Yeah. That's what's happening. The Cuomo's get a pass on that. Yeah. In fact, CNN even lost their mind and said, hey, Chris, no more uh, interviewing your brother on television. They've just lifted that for this whole coronavirus thing. Yeah. Which, again, because it's an important story, that's not a reason to abandon your journalistic standards. It's a reason to enforce them more closely. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, Andrew Cuomo wants to come on and talk on television. Make him go to someone who might hold him you know, to hold his feet to the fire a little bit. Yeah, don't talk about calling mom. Uh, well, mom says you haven't called. I've called mom. Nah, she says you haven't. You haven't called mom. So cute. It's, a, it's, the, it's funny to watch, but is it profitable in the, in the grand scheme of things? Of course not. But neither is asking Trump questions about the Tiger King. I, I, you know, let's be fair on the whole thing across the board. Um, you're right. Uh, and you're watching this thing. And if people watch our episode on the Cuomo's, this this family, this New York family, this dynasty that's there. We share some of those clips. Is it contrived? Is it set up? Is it real? Is this true sibling rivalry that's going on? Sometimes I say yes. Sometimes I say <laughs> no. It, it, they fall into it very naturally. They're very Italian, mm. which is something they've tried to escape. Yeah. I posted a, a clip of something yesterday, and it might have been that clip you shared here earlier on the show, and people kept going, they're a crime family. They're a crime family. Well, if you go back and look at the antithesis between La Costa Nostra Nostra and Mario Cuomo, they did everything they could to separate themselves from Mm Italian-American heritage, especially the Sicilian mob. They tried to separate themselves from that almost to a weird degree. Mm. You notice when Chris Cuomo comes out and he says, don't call me Fredo. That's like using the N-word. I mean, how yeah, dare you call right. me that? It's almost like you're protesting too much yeah. on this thing. Mm-hmm. Like, Why are you trying so hard to distance yourself from your Italian-American heritage? And they've done that now for two generations where they want to separate themselves. It's almost like, don't look at us like a crime family. I mean, we're just a crime family, but don't (laughs) look at us. Is it mafia? No, but it's worse than that. It's political. And if you can't tell me that that the mafia does in New York, mafia doesn't have anything to do with politics. Are you kidding me? (laughs) Yeah, no, of course it does. So I don't know. It's a question that should be raised. Yeah. Um, before you go, how are you, how are you doing? How are you dealing with Man, I'm fantastic. (laughs) I'm fantastic. Uh, I'm going nuts, dude. I don't, you've hit the wall. I look over and my wife, she's laying across the couch watching yet another episode of Ozark. She's not even wearing cute pajamas. (laughs) I'm not even sure if it's my wife at this point. I just see two feet, two unpedicured feet sticking up, you know, and oh my gosh, dude, I'm going to need Jenny Craig and rehab at the end of this deal because Stu, Stu, (laughs) Stu. I mean, I will say, dude, I don't know what is I don't know what is more dangerous, if it's the drinking or the eating. It doesn't matter. At this point, I'm at a point in quarantine where I've learned that the first breakfast is the most important one of the day. (laughs) (laughs) I'm on like three of them. I'm eating two breakfasts at a time. Oh, yeah. It's disgusting. I hate myself right now. I I am eating as if I'm on like this never-ending vacation. Yeah. 
And that's not a good place. That's not a good place. I, it's hard to bounce back out I'm of this. I'm not even eating good food. I know. It's just available food. I, only in America can we go into a quarantine, a pandemic lockdown situation and gain weight. Uh, that's, a, that's quite a compliment to this country. It really is. I would say. Uh, Chad Prather, you can get that episode on demand about the Cuomos uh, and all of his shows on demand, uh, of course, on Blaze TV. Uh, and uh, you can also, of course, subscribe to all the content and buy all the fancy merchandise. He's got some great stuff over there <laughs> yeah. as well. We got a new and essential human. I said, well, yeah. That's sweet. That's a sweet <laughs> sentimental thing. It is. Everybody was pissed off because I kept saying, well, essential this and that. And they're like, no. Okay, you're a human. There you go. <laughs> Good job. Good job. Uh, thanks so much for uh, coming up on the on the program. You can always get that on blazetv.com slash stew. Use the promo code stew and save uh, 30 bucks back in a second. Well, I'll take a second to uh, talk about Black Rifle Coffee. It's awesome. I know my wife uh, usually, even in quarantine, does this thing where she like makes the coffee in the morning, and she always used to do this and I'd go out, go to heat up, you know, some meal later on in the day in the microwave, and there's her coffee cup with like a half a cup of coffee. It's all cold because she put it in there to warm it up, and I don't know what, what that says. To me, that says you didn't like the coffee enough. Well, that's stopping now with uh, with Black Rifle Coffee. Uh, it's a premium small batch roast to order coffee company for people who love America. They import only the highest quality beans from around the world and always roast their coffees to order. Uh, so you, you know, ensure that it's going to be the freshest coffee available. They develop their uh, great roast pile, uh, profiles with the same mission focus that they learned in the military because these are great guys. It's not just great coffee. These are great guys running a great freaking company. All Black Rifle coffee blends are available in the whole bean and the ground varieties. And also, if you're like me and you're lazy, they come up in the nice little cups and you stick them in there and then a single serve and it's nice and easy. Uh, make sure you uh, get the uh, Black Rifle Coffee Club. It's great. You choose the amount and blends that you crave and they offer it to you at a special discounted price shipped free directly to your home or office every month. Nice and convenient. It allows you to keep doing what you do. Let the, co- the coffee comes to you. They make it nice and easy. Uh, wake up to America's coffee by going to blackriflecoffee.com slash stew. Blackriflecoffee.com slash stew. Make sure you use the promo code stew because that's how they know you like this stupid show. Plus, you receive 20% off your first order of any coffee products, and that includes the coffee club. Blackriflecoffee.com slash stew. The promo code is stew. An interesting fact. Did you know five weeks ago, no one had ever said the word hydroxychloroquine before? never happened. Even people who were on it had never said it. Now it's the only word we say. Hydroxychloroquine. Um, there is a, a bunch of new tests out. We talked to Christy Nome on the radio show this morning. Uh, she's the governor of South Dakota. They're doing a statewide test. Uh, there's a bunch of tests now. There's actually a whole, um, it's called uh, clinicaltrials.gov has a list of a bunch of these different studies they're doing um, coming up on hydroxychloroquine. The problem with these studies is even with really breakneck speed, they're, they're able to bring people into these studies so quickly because so many people are affected, and many of these uh, are, are major studies, um, but they're still going to take weeks and weeks and weeks, and theoretically, we're going to be past the worst of this uh, by then. Hopefully, um, we can get to a point where hydroxychloroquine can make a difference for some people, even if it's just a, a portion of the, of the people. Um, if you haven't looked into this beyond just hearing people say it and try to pronounce it and butcher it over and over again, one of the interesting things is the theory behind it. Basically, the little creepy thing I was uh, yelling at about uh, yelling about before that little creepy atom thing that they always show. Um, that's the in theory the uh, the COVID nineteen uh, virus, 
and it attaches itself to a shell with a little with, or to the cell with those little pointy things. And so the cell sees it as an invader, which it is. As I discussed earlier on this program, it's evil. And when it comes in there, it's seen as an invader, and the cell basically tries to, you know, it's like it's like if someone was breaking into your house and you took out your gun, right? It tries to get rid of the invader, and it fires like basically acid at it, tries to kill it. The problem is, it's like it's like if you put gremlins in water. COVID nineteen likes the acid. That's the issue here. So COVID-19 takes the acid, like, thanks. And now I'm going to replicate like the gremlins in the water. That's a terrible thing. We do not want that to happen. So what hydroxychloroquine does is it turns off that acid. So the cells can't respond that way. And it doesn't flare out of control and kill you. Ta-da! That's your science tip for the day. Hydroxychloroquine. It's kind of an interesting thing. And, and, and it, in theory, should work. This is why there's so, so much excitement about it in the medical community, um, because it, it, it kind of theoretically plays out. The question is, does it play out in real life? Even if it's just for certain people or it's combined with certain things, uh, it's a positive. We need to get to a point where we have a treatment so we can just back off the worst symptoms uh, just a little bit, as we talked about yesterday. Just make people believe they're not going to die and they'll go out to movie theaters. They'll go out to restaurants. But you have to have some sort of treatment there. Uh, it's interesting, too, to see, you know, I think in the sort of conservative media, we get, uh, you know, we get our little bubble a little bit. I think everybody is guilty of that at some level. And people who consume mostly or all conservative media uh, see the world in a little bit of a different way. The same way someone who was way over on the left might see uh, only from the left. Sometimes we lose sight about, about why politicians make decisions. I thought this was pretty interesting because people keep talking about Donald Trump and they're like, hey, Open up this economy, open up the economy. And I think Trump is sitting there saying, like, look, I don't want, you know, a million people to die or 100,000 people to die. So I'm going to do everything I can to stop that. But we are going to have to open it up eventually. People, I think, in conservative media are so uh, impatient with him uh, right now. Um, But that's not really the state of the country. Uh, This is an amazing stat. Um, If they asked uh, Fox News actually asked the question. Um, do you think Trump is doing too much, too little, or just the right amount? Uh, are you taking it seriously enough, or are you overreacting to the virus? Um, only 4% of people, 4%, said he's doing too much and overreacting to the virus. Four. Now, this is about a week old, so it's probably a little higher, is at least my, my belief. Um, but still, this is not a situation where he's being pressured by voters in general to open up the economy. They want to be safe before they go back to work. They want to be safe before they go back to a movie theater uh, or uh, wherever they're going. Um, so that is, I think, part of the calculus as far as there's not a there's not a lot of pressure in real life uh, to to for him to rush this past his his end of the month deadline. We just need to have a plan by then, I think, to at least roll this out and open up the economy at some level. One other thing I want to talk, uh, take issue with uh, as far as people who are looking at um, all these models. We started today's show. Stu does models. It's a great title. It's a great freaking title. Um, if you look back at, uh, at these models, you get a lot of skeptical treatment from largely the right on the models. And I think it, everything in science should be approached skeptically. I think that's a very natural and correct thing to do. But let me just take it out of science for a minute and talk political. If I'm Donald Trump, the number one thing I'm doing is taking the estimates of 5 million people dead seriously. I want all of my all of my all of my political operatives, all the people who support me in social media, I want that number out there as much as possible. 
Five million were going to die. And then Donald Trump acted. And, we know, we may have major problems here with with the uh, economy and he's going to have to deal with that. Um, but the the approach of his supporters saying these 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 estimates are stupid. Five million, two million people dead is, is, is was a stupid estimate was never going to happen. In fact, if we didn't close things down, it would actually be better for us I, politically, just purely politically. Isn't it a better argument to say, hey, they told me two million people were going to die and 50,000 people died. It's a terrible, terrible tragedy. But you know what? We saved 98 percent of the deaths that they told me that we were going to have. And uh, that's we did our best. Now, I'm sure, you know, Joe Biden's going to come in and say, well, I would have saved 99 percent. Is that even an argument? You know, I think that a big number actually politically is helpful to Trump. And obviously, if you believe it's true as well, uh, it kind of puts into perspective the dramatic things that he's had to do here. So I I don't know. I mean, I I think when you're talking politics, it makes a, a lot less sense to sit here and mock all of the models because it's going to be helpful to Donald Trump if this is seen as as serious a problem as it is, or maybe even more. Um, you want people to believe that this was the worst thing that was ever happening, and Donald Trump helped save it. Um, and I think there's a lot of truth in that, by the way. Um, but on the other side of that, it, it, like mocking it and saying, oh, well, you know what, only 10,000 people would have died if we didn't shut everything down, but now 50,000 people died, or whatever they're trying to approach this with today. I understand you want the economy open, uh, and you want people to know that, but politically speaking, that's not going to help Donald Trump. Right. Like that's going to help Joe Biden. Um, but we'll see. I guess this is going to play out over the next few months. The main thing. And, I, you know, I've said this 100 times. The main thing that needs to happen here is Donald Trump needs to come out of this looking like he did a competent job in a very difficult converse, uh, situation. If he can do that, if he can convince the American people that that's what happened, he'll be winning. If not, he's going to lose. It's that it's, this is that big of a story. And that's the approach he needs to take. Back in a second. Happy to introduce a new sponsor to the show, Classic Learning Test, also referred to as the CLT exam. Now, it would have been impossible, even as recently as a few months ago, to imagine a scenario in which the SAT or the ACT would actually cancel all of their tests for the spring. It's amazing. Under different circumstances, this would be a dream come true for CLT as they work to challenge their two competitors. No company wants to have their big break come as a result of this, which has been a disaster. But CLT has been preparing a solution for this type of thing for a long time. Rather than canceling their tests due to COVID-19, CLT has tripled the testing dates available for this spring. Most importantly, they are making the CLT available to students via remote at home. CLT has been developing and piloting this technology for nearly a year. They were initially going to roll this out as an option for students living in extremely rural areas. But now they get to make it available to pretty much everybody because everybody's got to deal with the same situation. Uh, Many parents and students in America still do not know about the CLT as a third option, and many colleges are now just starting to look at CLT as a solution. And these exams are taken online, just two hours, with same-day results. The classic learning test, the CLT, has been used by tens of thousands of students and hundreds of colleges and provides the most accurate and rigorous measure of academic formation, accomplishment, and potential. Better tests create better students. To register for the April 25th official college entrance exam, or the April 29th CLT-10, that's Classic Learning Test's alternative to the PSAT, visit cltexam.com, cltexam.com. Both exams can be taken from the comfort of your home. It's cltexam.com. 
New York Times has been doing a hell of a bang-up job lately. I don't know if you've noticed this. Uh, they have uh, Michelle Goldberg, who is, I guess, one of their writers. She has written a new piece about Joe Biden. Uh, the side-by-side is pretty amazing. Uh, what to do with Tara Reid's allegation against Joe Biden. Uh, she uh, writes uh, in the uh, small print here, um, basically about, what was the small print again? I can't quite see it. Uh, a sexual assault accusation against the presumptive Democratic nominee is being used to troll the Me Too movement. That's how she sees the Biden one. Uh, on the other side, pigs all the way down. Uh, basically, everybody is evil, um, and Brett Kavanaugh is the king of the evil people. It's an amazing uh, double standard we're seeing form with this whole Joe Biden story. And honestly, it's, it's an embarrassment. Um, they've been trying to do all sorts of weird stuff with Biden, trying to make him cool now. Uh, he's going on the, uh, the Jesus and Miro show. Now, I don't know anything about them, shockingly. Um, I'm sure they're wonderful human beings. Apparently they were on Vice or they were working with Vice at one point. I guess they're on Showtime now. I don't know. But it just doesn't seem like sticking Joe Biden in the cool show environment is really the way to go. Um, probably as cool as he'll ever get was his appearance on Parks and Rec. I don't know if you watched this. Check it out. The reason you're here is, I'm told, you've done such a great job in your town and in the state of Indiana. And I just want to say congratulations for your public service. And I just want to say thank you. Well, you, you, you're very welcome. You're very welcome. Thank you. you're, you're, you're very welcome. You're, you're very handsome. Uh, is Amy Poehler actually pulling a Biden in the scene? Did he screenwrite the scene? I don't, I don't, I don't know. He needs a SAG card, I guess. Uh, I'm, I, he'd be very much pulling. Uh, she's pulling a, pu- uh, pulling a Biden on Biden. This is like, I will only come on the show if people put ha- their hands all over me. The only way I'm going to do this thing for you. I don't know if this is going to work for Biden. He doesn't seem, I mean, even looking at him in that, you know, I hadn't seen that, that scene in a while. Just watching him in that scene, he looks like a different person. Doesn't it? I mean, that's not that long ago. He just, he looked like he was on top of it and engaged and it just seems to be gone. Um, Kevin Ryan is one of our uh, writers. He, we sent him out to um, Iowa. He did a bunch of events out there uh, and covered Biden. And he said in person, he's still a little more engaging, seems to have a little, is with it a little bit more in full context when you're not just seeing him in clips. So maybe that comes through when it comes to debate time and campaign time. I would not count on it, though. I would be terrified if this if I were Democrats. This is not how they wanted this to turn out. A guy who can barely speak, get through sentences, guy who's seemingly got his hands all over every woman who passes by, getting accused of all sorts of things. It's just not ideal, I will say. Suboptimal. You'd rather do better. But of course, they didn't have any other good candidates either. So that's kind of the problem. Uh, we'll be back in uh, just a second here. Last break. The next, by the way, I should tell you next week, um, uh, or excuse me, the rest of the week, I'm going to be uh, off. A couple of uh, reruns you'll be seeing. Lucky you. And I will tell you this as well. The hair is getting incredibly long. I don't know if you can tell. It's getting to the point. It's going to soon, by the time I come back, it's going to be grown over my face. I'm going to look like, was it Cousin It? Yeah, Cousin It was the guy. Yeah, that, I'm going to be like that guy. Uh, and this is what's happening to everybody. I may need to purchase a Floby, and uh, I may need to purchase a Floby and do my hair with a Floby. Is that, they still make Flobies? I'm going to find out. Back in a second. So Democrats now are saying they want to get a new bill, $2,000 every month to every qualifying American over the age of 16 until employment returns to pre-COVID-19 levels. 
which is like 3.5% in unemployment. So we're going to be at 3.7% in unemployment and sending $2,000 a month to everybody. They're going to yang you, aren't they? They're going to Andrew yang you. That's what's going to happen. All right, we'll see you next week.